The Open Nesters podcast is a weekly podcast that explores new ways of living as our kids leave the nest. Now in season three, the podcast topics go deeper and wider in interviews with individuals, couples, and experts in areas ranging from relationships and families to adventure, spirituality, and sexuality. This week on the Open Nesters podcast with Molly Apple and Joe Dunn. reached out to me after we were on an online program and they've just released a book she and her husband called wild monogamy molly and joe it's cultivating erotic intimacy to keep passion and desire alive let's hear it from molly and joe welcome to the open nesters molly apple and joe dunn of wild monogamy and and they they are a couple based in california how are you doing today we're doing great, thanks. How are you guys? We're doing terrific. After uh, we're trying to squeeze in the uh, s- the summer into the East Coast, but it doesn't come yet. It's a lot colder here in uh, Northern California than we're used to this time of year as well. <laughs> I'm sure. So you're so you're heating it up with yourselves, your partnership, and what you're writing about. And I absolutely love this book, especially for couples who need to enter this idea of. They are monogamous. They, that's how they define themselves. And you've opened it by saying, we and putting out this book recently that I just thought was fabulous and so well-researched and structured about wild monogamy. So I wanted first for you to give us a little background on where you are in this stage of life as what we call open nesters as far as kids and where you are. We've got grown children. Three. Three grown children. 35, 33, and 25. Uh, 25. Yeah. yeah. One of them got married last fall and one's getting married this summer. So congratulations. So that's uh, going to be a new stage. And and do they live close by? No, unfortunately. <laughs> uh, the closest is my daughter in San, San Diego mm-hmm. and my son's in Seattle, but our other daughter's in uh, Germany. Two are from mm-hmm. one marriage, another marriage. And do you have one together, the daughter? We met when she was quite young, and they are very, very, very close. So, I, I would like to know. I mean, you know, the last one, the twenty-five years old. When when did she leave the house? How long? She ago? went off to college at eighteen. How was that transition all of a sudden to be an open nester where there's nobody around, and here the <laughs> two of you are together, and you're it looking was, at each other? Was, and says, Honey, what shall we do next? It was fabulous because we are so busy all the time with writing books and coaching and everything that we do. It really was perfect. It, it, it doesn't seem like that we gained that much more time. It doesn't. No. <laughs> Maybe we just got busier and so we didn't notice. But, but. <laughs> how would you give a summary up front about how the two of you finally found each other to do this kind of work? When we first met and and it was going so incredibly well for the first four years or something. It was so incredible that we, I was a book editor at the time, a nonfiction book editor. That's what I always done professionally. And I just felt like we could either just keep having this fabulous time together, or we could distill it down into what is working so well and put it out there for others 
to maybe benefit from it. And that book has sold thousands and thousands of copies. And we're super happy we made that decision. What's the first book's called? That's the what's called? It's called The Soulmate Experience. Soulmate practical, Experience. Yes, A Practical Guide to Creating Extraordinary Relationships. Yeah. And what we discovered at the very end of that book, <laughs> do you know what I mean? I think you're going to say about yeah. how to keep a relationship. Yeah. Uh, what we discovered about how to keep a relationship great is to always be studying relationships and what works. Exploring. Exploring. Yeah. 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 And so that's yeah. what uh, that's what we've been doing since, uh, when did we start this? You said like 2006 or something? Yeah. 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 We started to write books and... And I think with this newest book, Wild Monogamy, which took us seven years to do all the interviews and have people try out all our crazy ideas and report back, we sort of came to the same conclusion that because we're constantly exploring sexuality and intimate connection on all these different levels, that that's what's keeping it great. Yeah. Yes. Love that. I love that. It's true when we put intention curiosity and make it our life's mission that the that the, as Esther Perel beautifully always has said is that the quality of our lives is determined by the quality of our relationships and most people it takes such a secondary place I was so just charmed and delighted and and loved the, the idea of how you've created this not from having to come from professional backgrounds in psychology even though I know you did some background in that but you know you talk about defining your circle and and the idea of the fact that we get into like rut, and I think our circles can be a rut as well. So how do how we expand? It's a big part of what we talk about in the Open Nesters podcast. How we expand beyond that circle and stop making assumptions also about what is going to work now could change. One of the reasons we open the book with what we call the intimacy inquiry, which is a series of very penetrating questions yes. to help couples figure out where their circle are, circles are. And the circle is where you're comfortable. And we want to know where each of us is comfortable so that we can start looking at where the edges of that comfort zone are. And we can start exploring there. And for every person and every couple, that's going to be different. And so those conversations give them a lot of information about, oh, we can do something over here. I think we're both not afraid in this little area, and we haven't really done anything here. So let's explore there. You try to push the couples beyond their edges? Yes. And their limits? <laughs> not, beyond not, not beyond their, their limits, but beyond, want, beyond the, the circles we, that, you know, we want to push boundary. the boundary out. Yes, so that's what I'm talking the, about. Make the yes. circle bigger. Yeah, yeah. The so boundary means my limits, yeah. When, yes. when Molly and I met, I quickly realized that that's the only place she likes to play, <laughs> is at the edges. <laughs> yeah. Yes, I always say that if you are uh, uh, not at, living at the edge, you're taking too much space. That's right. We don't take up much space. In, in general, we know as we get older, and I had this amazing conversation with an 88-year-old today who was a, a doctor, an engineer, and part of the polyamory movement years ago. So he said to me that if we're not pushing our edges like our belief system, like that's how we open our fluidity. And if we don't change that, if it doesn't come from a place of discomfort at first, but also knowing how to feel safe... It is such a management of all those things. I love I love how you say the other oral sex communication. Like if we don't really love and know and spend time and uh, a resilient trust. I'd love mm -hmm. to talk about that. Yeah. So, so I just want to go back to the intimate inquiry where people are actually 
comfortable at. So take me from there to the next level of of uh, of exploration of a relationship. Mm-hmm. Well, those questions, the intention of it, and and we are very very specific in the book about you know your relationship may not be ready for all of these questions because they can bring up a lot of fears and insecurities and jealousies just contemplating these questions. Yes. So even just having a conversation about is this question comfortable for us to mm-hmm. talk about enough is helpful for building that foundation of trust. I mean, that can spur a conversation in and of itself without even delving into the actual topic of the the question. Mm -hmm. There's so many very deep questions and so many areas that you divide so well. And it could be on the edge of the fact that when you go away on on vacation, you want to try something new because you've only had this all of your lives in a long-term relationship and you want to have a little sexual play. So it is so beautiful because it offers this vast d- discovery. You had mentioned uh, our little phrase, resilient trust. When people talk about trust in a relationship, often it's really not trust at all they're talking about. They're more hoping and wishing that these things were true, but there's it's no... It's untested trust. It's <laughs> untested. And part of having these conversations and part of having experiences that are on the edge of where your comfort zones are together is to be able to build that trust. Because we have to have those experiences where we've done something scary and actually supported each other in it, or one person has had a a reaction to it, has gotten feeling jealous, feeling insecure, and the other has supported them through that, and they've come closer together through that, that's building resilient trust. So, so what is something that is scary? What do you call scary? <laughs> it's totally different for every person. Um, what you two do together is probably scary for a lot of couples. Oh, yeah. People tell me that all the time. <laughs> yeah. So somewhere between where a couple who's scared by your life, life and where your life is, is going to be the perfect little point for them to try something new. Let's just give an example that it might be going to a play party and not playing with anybody, just being by themselves. That could be quite an edge for some couples to do something like that. And then the other edge, we had Reed Mahalko about... Give me the strap Give on. me the strap on. I'll buckle up about begging. I'll, I'll buckle he up. He talks about like how you really deeply and even spiritually are stretching your edges when you have anal sex like that. So we're just going to be right out there. Like there is every range of what's scary for one or the other. Right. right. So interesting, right? For some couple, the idea that we could go out to a restaurant and we could look around and find other people attractive would be very scary to some couples correct, or at least to one person in that couple. What we want to do is help them have a conversation about it. That isn't accusatory. That isn't blaming. And that isn't, you know, you, you should be blamed because you look, or I should be blamed because it makes me uncomfortable. Let's, let's delve dive deeper together and look at why that makes you uncomfortable. Or is it the way I look? Or is it the meaning that you give to the fact that I'm looking? Did you have a bad experience in past relationships that caused you to be fearful about having your partner look at somebody else? Now? Right. Or or is it just cultural conditioning? Is, is jealousy is the, the majority of the scary part that you are encountering in your consultation? And- jealousy is a big one. That's why we have an entire chapter on it in the book. 
insecurity is a big one, which is why we have two full chapters on how to help each other with all kinds of different areas of insecurity. And number three is shame. Insecurity and, within the relationship? As a person. Uh, yeah. As a person. I'm becoming a little bit insecure because I look older and I'm having to work with that. And Joe helps me work with that all the time. And finding- Oh, what you wrote was so beautiful. Well, you wrote about your breast section, just like I cry. It was just so touching. Like I grew up with a father who was obsessed with big breasts. He married my mother, I think, primarily because of her her bra size, because <laughs> they didn't get along at all. So I think that was it. <laughs> and I would sit at his feet watching television, and he would just, it was a running commentary on women's bodies, and the size of their breasts was the number one factor in whether a woman was acceptable or not, basically, as a human even. And we'd go out to dinner and he would comment on the waitresses. And it was just this whole place that I grew up in. And I'm fairly small breasted. One of the great benefits of um, menopause to me has been somehow my boobs have grown bigger. I'm like, good, I'm good with that. <laughs> but I was also always small breasted and I was uncomfortable about it. And I tried to hide it. And when I met Joe, there was a time when we were we were having sex and he noticed on my face, there was something on my face and he asked me really lovingly about it. And I just confessed the whole thing. And he's like, oh, we're going to have fun with this. <laughs> we're just going to love your breasts exactly as they are and show you how beautiful and sexy. That was fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then I'm going to just say it, then finding out that you, you're a pussy man, it's like she asked you if you're an ass tit or put, or, or ass or tit man, which is like, oh, we think men are ass and tit men. Or, or breast and man, I yeah. I love that. See, I have a, a lover and certainly Amir is so good with me or with cunnilingus, but I feel like, the more we love our pussy, this is such a license, especially as we age, for us to feel the sensations that aging is part of our vitality if we have a lover that can appreciate it. So mm -hmm. I love that he told you that. And that what did you do? You had a cute little experiment with that. With that. Didn't you do something with that one night? Are we talking about the breasts or the pussy? No, the pussy the <laughs> it was a vulva night this time, I think. Oh, that's right. Why don't you tell us both? <laughs> you want to finish about the breasts? The, well, the breasts we yeah. did all kinds of yeah. It was a, it was a whole day that we took, and I we took I took pictures in different positions so that Molly could see what I saw. We put different clothes on. I took pictures of those. I had her in the shower with water running over her breasts. I took pictures of those so that I could show her what I'm seeing and how sexy and beautiful it was. And still is. And I think that's that's one of the keys to helping your partner see themselves as beautiful is getting them to see themselves through your eyes. And we give a lot of tips about how that might be done. Because it's so, it, it, I have to suspend my disbelief for the time being and trust what he's telling me. And that experience with him, unbelievably, in one one day, he got me to just jettison this idea I had held for 40 years that my breasts were insufficient, and I have never looked back. Can you give us an example, one technique of how one can see the beauty in their partner uh, through their eyes? If it's something like you have an issue with your face, right? We can look in a mirror, and I'm going to ask you for five minutes to just listen as I describe what I see in the mirror, and you see only what I'm telling you. 
and let go of your your audio tapes that have been on re- repeat in your head all these years. And when I say I'm looking at your eyes and I can just see this incredible color and I love the flecks in here and I just get them to see what you're seeing. So this is just such soft, beautiful connecting time. And that's the essence of what you actually discuss in this book, that all the ways that we connect, all the mm-hmm. ways that we come back to connection. I mean, I'm 61. It's like, okay, I definitely don't have the body I had when I was in my 30s or 40s. And it feels gorgeous and sexy. And I do love my body. And so <laughs> it is a heart. It is something that we, I need to feel in order for him to feel it. So I'm very, I'm pretty good at it. I've taught mindful sexuality. I've worked with women and myself. I do a lot of mindfulness work and dancing, which I think you talk about how great dancing is. Joe, what, what, what suggestions do you have as the man that can help them want to slow down, want to help their wife? Because women do have, I think, more of it than men in this society. So I do want to at least mention that before we go into the vulva part. If I had to tell them one thing about helping your partner get over an insecurity, it would be that they are going to be so grateful to you when you're done with it, <laughs> right? So however that looks, and it's different for everybody. I mean, we kind of when when you know molly's insecurities we kind of came up with on the spot so it kind of depends on what what it is we're we're working on but if i had to talk to the guys i would say it, it is well worth every minute you invest in getting your partner to see themselves as you do right which i assume to be attractive beautiful sexy that oftentimes our partner can't see themselves that way but we can see them that way mm-hmm. I think for for the breast exercises, I, I just had to get creative. Mm-hmm. You know, like, I, okay, what would be the best way? How could I get Molly to see herself as I see her? So and, photographs and, and mirrors. And, and you also did a lot of uh, sensual exercises with me. We did. That's yeah, right. That that So that I could close my eyes and just feel the sensations and get unfocused on the look. So, so I, so I get the technique, the technique to see uh, one through its partner's eyes, mm-hmm. and I see the value. Truly, I see the value that it's. There's no question about it that it's it is uh, an, an incredible cement and glue between and bonding between the couples. So I'm I'm wondering if there is any kind of a frequency or, or something that <laughs> a reminder that somebody like me that is a very busy mind that his beautiful gorgeous goddess wife walks by with a brand new dress going out on a date with you or with others and you don't notice it and you know how how do i remind somebody like myself that it's need to be uh, acknowledged and recognized well, I, I have to say something that I, I don't, you, you do too, <laughs> that I don't, I, I really like the idea of, of not giving meaning to you not recognizing it because you're willing, you, you, you recognize it and you're willing to acknowledge it. You just don't think of it. That happens so often here. And he has given me just totally open to me saying exactly what you've said, Tessa is like, you know what? My ass looks really good night now, and you need to notice it and tell me that. And I don't discount what he tells me just because I had to remind him. That's because the she thing. she understands that you know I come walking in the door and I might have fifteen thoughts in my head, totally unrelated to Molly or what we're doing, 
And so if I'm preoccupied and that's the moment that she wants to be seen and oh, this is so good. We so needed this conversation. Then, Thank you. You know, then she then I have her permission. She has my permission, have permission. to bring it up and, and ask me for it. In fact, I can remember more than once we'd be going upstairs. Right. And I'd be going behind her thinking about something and yeah. not looking at her ass. <laughs> which I should always be doing because it is fine. Yeah. But where we got up to the top of the stairs and she, with a smile on her face said, we're going to do that again. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so we go back down to the bottom of the stairs and she turns around and she goes up like, oh, okay, I see, I see it. And I'm now I see it and I really appreciate it. And thank you for, for, uh, you know, giving me an opportunity. So it doesn't become a, a Thank source you of for giving me an opportunity. I love that response. Yes, I love it. It's like it really is a gratitude thing. It's I I would like to say thank you for for that because I like to be able to say thank you for the opportunity yeah. and the reminder and, <laughs> and and hoping that Tessa will not say you you know why do I have to remind you and get upset even though honey I I, I recognize it I really do I really do and I love you and I come and kiss her but it's maybe not enough because it hasn't come naturally and spontaneous yeah, exactly and spontaneously <laughs> I so, think we, so, we overrate this idea of spontaneous we really do we're yeah. all busy we've got stuff going on some of us have extremely busy minds like you were talking about. And I think we need, if we can work on letting go of this idea that it has to come without you asking, that somehow asking taints it, forget it, right? I ask and then I let go and I don't think, oh, it's terrible I had to ask. I just let go and I accept that he adores me and right, and now he's going to, oh yeah, you're right. The reminder, I get to focus on this. Thank you. And, and so it's, we have fun with it. I think, and that's this the, is so helpful. Uh, I appreciate really saying that because you know anything. we we struggle with that. Honestly, we struggle with that on on occasion or two or three. I, or I more mean, often. I'm going to say, yeah, go ahead, finish that. And we struggle with that. And I really need to recognize Tessa more. I recognize for you know, her incredible qualities, physically and mentally and emotionally. She is so connected with herself, with her body and her mind is so together. And I need to recognize that more, uh, not only her physical beauty. And I don't do that enough. And I admit that. And, you know, I'm I'm just like you, Joe, you know, a million things in my head and then it doesn't come spontaneously. So, I'm sure. Do you have stairs in your house? <laughs> we don't use any stairs. No, in our we house. do. We do have <laughs> stairs coming down to the studio. Yeah, I don't usually, we don't usually do those stairs at the same time because they're down to the studio. <laughs> you you need to start. start. <laughs> <laughs> what a great suggestion! And also, I want to say to women out there, and I think Molly. I mean, more. Look how we're talking about women, and our younger generation might be horrified by this, like the non-binary. Why or why is why do women need it more? And I don't. I think we could do a whole other interview on that. So I don't yeah. necessarily want to get stuck. But I do want to say that as I've gotten older and as I've become more self-assured and loving of myself, I think I've needed it less and asked you for it less. So I think it is a process too, and this is just helps that process along. To know that you, that who I am and when I feel sexy and erotic, as we can go talk about eroticism now has a lot to do with my feeling erotic and want to explore because I'm feeling really good in myself. Mm. Yeah, and, and and it's not just for monogamy or polyamory or whatever relationship, whatever dynamic you're in, 
what we're talking about right now applies to. So whether you're monogamy, totally monogamy, or monogamish, or poly, or somewhat poly, or you're exploring, or you're dabbling, or you thinking about it, whatever it is, your stage, uh, whatever your ages and your boundaries are, it is good to know that recognition is very, very important and valuable. And I really appreciate you taking the weight of the spontaneity, number one. Yeah. And secondly, uh, we overrate that. And, and you know, we don't have to really worry about whether it, it just has to be done in giving the opportunity to recognize each other is really where it's at. So thank you for thank you. an incredible, incredible, uh, I don't want to call it tip, but uh, awareness and recognition of, of awakening. That. Awakening. And, yes. you know, gratitude. You talk about gratitude. So gratitude, as they say, an expression of gratitude in our partnership, it can never be too much. And mm. I remember you mentioned that. And I thought that's just so right. Because when, when we're feeling full in the how we express our gratitude for one another in our partnership, is when all of our lives become fuller. So mm. I do I do want to, I love that you wrote about that. I don't know if you want to say more about it. And I did want to ask you how you feel about unconditional love. And then we're going to talk about eroticism because <laughs> is, it, is it unconditional? And, you know, I'm curious about that. Is, are you saying is love in general unconditional? Or is that or do you, do, so, so how, I mean, that, you know, you're not talking about whether you're going to get divorced, but how someone loves you, are we... We need to communicate it, I think, is what the whole book is discussing. But I was just curious what your thoughts are about that idea. My thought in particular is that true love is unconditional, that any conditions are not love. That's my thought. Well put. Well put. I mean, I think I think conditions are interesting because we use that word. I don't know, you know, like labels of all kinds. The idea is that they can evolve and they can change. Right. So that conditions can change, too. I guess mm-hmm, how true. what we need, what we accept, what we ask for, what we're, what we're, what we're, what we're feeling at our different stages of our lives, the waves that we need to ride. Mm-hmm. So, so let's talk about the erotic stuff, um, like what, and not just your sexy date ideas, which definitely. You can tell the, I can tell the pussy fest story. Yes, we forgot that cute. <laughs> it's quite erotic. So I did ask Joe one day, just offhand, are you an ass man, a leg man, a breast man? What are you? And he says, I'm a pussy man. Just like that. <laughs> and I'd never heard of such a thing. And it just blew my mind. A pussy man. Huh. And I thought I, everybody was a pussy man. <laughs> <laughs> and I went off thinking about it because I had never thought about that being such a area of focus. And I started to design this experience, which I love to do, uh, kind of erotic experiences. And I spent a few days collecting photographs of vulvas. And I, I looked for very beautiful ones, all different kinds, colors, all different hairstyles, all different everything. And I collected, it was several hundred photos. And I told Joe we were going out to a beach house for the weekend that I had an experience for a Friday afternoon. And we started and we sat down and I opened my computer and I opened up the first photograph. It was on a slideshow. And he's like, whoa. <laughs> and I said, talk to me about this. Explain to me what you love. What is this? And he just went crazy. Yeah. Every yeah. single photograph. He loved every single photograph. 
I mean, he made visual love to every single pussy on the screen. It took us <laughs> hours to go through this. Yeah, it was a blast. <laughs> amazing exercise. And 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 then obviously just the awareness, like we know that when we put our intention into that a new awareness, how much that grew your awareness of your own sensual oh. pussy. It's like, wow, oh like just thinking about that is amazing. Yeah. What did you do afterwards? Yes, but we uh, we had to take it into reality. Yes, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Once we got through the slideshow, then it was Molly's turn, and uh... <laughs> yeah, and he did some photographs. We did this. We did these great photographs with pouring water over me, and he took these. Fo those photographs are just the most beautiful erotic Central, images yes. I've I have ever seen. The ones of myself because. I totally saw myself totally differently than I had ever. I had never really considered it all that much. I didn't have an issue with my vulva in any way, but I also didn't, I wasn't in love with, with it like he is. Yeah. And seeing, that's another way of seeing it through somebody else's eyes is that he showed me what it is he looks at when he looks at a vulva. So maybe we need another session with erotic photography with Joe. There you go. <laughs> it's good. Very it's nice. so good. So, and then what's interesting because as people that are that are listening and getting older, and we like to talk about aging and how sexuality, and we've had people on about the erotic blueprints, and you discuss the whole areas of which I, you know, which we can we can define as well, um, uh, physical and and the and creative sexuality and 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 emotional and, and spiritual. Mm -hmm. I mean, we can, mm -hmm. we can take it from that with eroticism as well, but what would you say as someone ages is the most impactful way for them to, or, or the most important thing that they can start looking toward in sensing how their eroticism is changing and communicating that? It's a loaded question. Mm -hmm. I mean, you can start by defining some of the ways someone may not know about how they can be erotic. I mean, you've obviously talked about that. And what you talked about was not just physical. Mm -hmm. Because I that was what you even, even with photographs, I think that would be considered. And isn't that beautiful? Even if people age to be able to see themselves as we, yes. as you were talking about. So I yes. think there's so much overlap there. Yes. Um, we do recommend, we actually have a, a third book called The Soulmate Lover. And we recommend in there to, Start noticing people older than you and seeing them as attractive, looking at them and seeing why they are attractive to you. Because you want to be able to see yourself that way as you age. And I actually, a friend of mine is always posting pictures of beautiful older women, like women in their 60s and 70s and 80s. And you know, 10 years ago, I was just like having such like I couldn't see what she was seeing. And I actually had her sit down with me and go through all the posts she'd done. And she would talk to me about this woman's beautiful because you could see the wisdom in her eyes coming through her skin and coming through. And I was like, oh, I'm getting it. I'm getting it. I had to I had to retrain myself because and you had mentioned earlier, Tessa, why women have a harder time with this, because look at how we're conditioned. It's even worse today than it ever was, because all of TikTok and all of Instagram is all filtered and it's all fake. 
And what and, and people are trying to live up to that. We cannot possibly live up to what's being told to us is attractive. And we have to find ways to tear down that construct and see beauty in this is a life well lived. This is a beautiful person because they're they're they've lived a good life and they're a good person. And you can see that in them if you look. And that will help us see it in ourselves because it's often harder to see it, hardest to see it in ourselves. And I think typically, too, um, in a lot of relationships where it's more challenging for the women to age, the guy doesn't notice it, right? He's not seeing all the things that the woman is seeing. Correct. He's seen, you know, the big picture. And in the big picture, she's beautiful, right? Whereas... Oftentimes we, you know, men and women, when we're getting older, we tend to focus on just these little things that we see, right? That that people don't notice if they're looking at you and your energy and, and your smile and the radiance that you give off. So it, it was interesting. You, you said to me um, a couple of days ago, Joe, um, I, I'm an I'm an athlete, and when we have been to swim meets, international swimming competitions, and you see women in the showers that are at the top of their game, and their bodies look incredible, and then you see their face, and you go, "Oh my gosh, this woman's like 70 years old, and her body looks like she's 30 years old," and there's a little bit of a shock there. And I said to Joe, "I think." I think people are uncomfortable with women over, you know, 50 or 60 wearing short skirts or wearing tight clothes because of that disconnect between their body seeming younger and their face looking older. And he's like, I have exactly the opposite experience. When you see a woman in in revealing clothing and you notice that she's older, what do you think? Well, and especially if, if I notice that she's in good shape, then I think, wow, she's really attractive. Right. She is is working on herself. And there is something very attractive about that to me. And, so. and even if even if it's some if it's not an, a, 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 a being a being in good shape thing, you always are like that woman's really attractive because she's older and that and you see like there's something you see. You see like their experience and their wisdom and their they've been around a long time and they have a lot to offer. Yeah, you they've got a lot of wisdom. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I like to, uh, when Molly starts worrying about her age or getting older, I like to tease her that there's a woman at the club that I go to because we she doesn't go with me typically. But um, And then I come back and I always tell her, oh, I, I've, I've been flirting with Yoko again. And I told her this for a while. She was not sure who Yoko was. And finally we started talking about it. I said, yeah, Yoko's this woman's been coming to the club for many years now. She's 90. <laughs> and I see her as very attractive. She's Japanese. She's very elegant. You know, we she uh, appreciates the fact that I work out and she comments on it and I flirt back with her. A little flirt just, appreciation has no, it's so innocent and it gives us so many little things, especially for an older man or woman. And I, I know that you guys talked about you're kind of monogamish because when you've gone out, you've actually allowed for some experiences and you still call it monogamy. And I, that's what I love. I love the fact that we have to stop with the labeling that, oh, they're this and they're that. And all of that you've brought forward in this book, I want to say again, and again about women and older women, since you're still on that, we have an interview. What's TikTok got to do with it? Glorious broads. She features them on Instagram and TikTok, these gorgeous 80 or 70 plus women. Mm. So just so people can look at that themselves. Um, 
I just want to thank you because you do this book takes our ideas, our beliefs, our assumptions, and it helps us really figure out what is it that'll help our essence of ourselves and our relationships Mm -hmm. and create that intimacy that is wild, the way you call it wild monogamy and some of your ideas. I don't know that we have time to go through as many of the sexy, not date ideas, but. No, I I think that you have brought a different dimension and awareness to uh, playfulness, to the ability to see each other. And, you know, many couples that we are interviewing in the Open Nesters podcast have that issue that, you know, the the partner doesn't see them, whether it's the husband or the wife, don't see them enough, whether there's a disconnect now that the kids have left the house and the common goal and is now uh, diminished and, you know, they're kind of trying to figure out what to do with each other and together and, you know, it's really become very awkward and artificial. So you brought the playfulness into uh, the relationship, whatever relationship uh, couples are exercising. It doesn't really matter. From a strict uh, monogamy to total open relationship, it doesn't really matter. <clears throat> the <clears throat> the foundation of what you really need uh, and what's really required to sustain and continue the bond is really what you have uh, brought up. Uh, to both of us together and, of course, to all the audience that are listening to this podcast right now. So we appreciate that and thank you for that. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you. Are there any other things you'd like to leave us with and then let us know how people can reach you? And tell us about your books. What kind of books and which one one should read and whatever. (laughs) (laughs) I think, you know, we have this wild monogamy. We have just poured all of the best ideas we have for increasing your intimacy. Good idea. It is, it is wisdom. What you have. It is experience. Yeah. I feel it's, I feel it's helpful for any people in any kind of relationship. If they also want to grow their own intimacy, which I think helps keep a polyamorous couple going forward is deepening their own intimacy. Definitely. That is always, always uh, almost uh, a prerequisite to be in in, um, in an open poly relationship to recognize and continue to bond the primary relationship. Well, that's if you're primary. Yeah. Some polyamory are equal in relationship. Anarchy, there's all kinds of things that yeah. we've actually discussed in the podcast. Right. But our primary based relationship needs the intimacy as an essential first component. Component, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So you have the book, The uh, Wild Monogamy. And you recommend that to anybody in any stage in any type of exercising relationship. Yes. Okay. And the soulmate experience is really a basic foundational how to have a relationship that's got all of those elements that acceptance and gratitude and love as strong as you could make it. Right. And right. how to work with jealousy. And, and how to let go of expectations and all of those sorts of things. And those mm-hmm. are available on a website or on Amazon or anywhere? They're available anywhere books are sold. And there are audiobook versions of them as well that we we read. And we just hear from people all the time how they love that we read them ourselves. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's fun. And your website is mollyandjoe.com, M-A-L-I and yes. A-N-D, J-O-E.com, mollyandjoe.com. And that's how people can reach you if they want a consultation or... Yep, they where they can, can hop on our YouTube channel or uh, Facebook, Instagram. It's all Molly and Joe. Fantastic. 
You have been an inspiration. Uh, thank you for your wisdom and your experiences. Thank you for sharing. I truly, truly, from the bottom of my heart, thank you. Oh, you're welcome. Thank and you so much. It's been great. We've had a great time. Well, stay with us for a moment. All right. Okay. Well, Tessa, that was inspiring, don't you think? So much to learn from this beautiful couple. I love this interview and I love the book. And they are engaged in exploring relationship. Uh, it's, it's intense and it's curious and it's beautiful to hear a couple that is really engaged in monogamy. Uh, you know, we often interview couples on the uh, Open Nessus podcast that are poly or uh, singles or swingers. But here it is. Uh, they have a monogamous lifestyle and they're proud of it and they're making it work. Well, they're monogamish uh, by they're very monogamish. conservative standards, by the way, that anybody that flirts or that or that has, you know, some some fun interactions with other couples, even if it's just sensual for some people, it's amazing. It's how you define your monogamy, honestly. The, the, the wisdom that we got from this particular interview is really can be applied to any relationship whatever it is that you engage in absolutely i mean getting your to your partner to see you as you as you it, it is see you that's exactly to see it. yourself through your partner's eyes because they've taken the time to cultivate it's about that cultivation and curiosity even as we grow old together and and that is an intentional and practice and 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 really, like that's why they made relationships the study of their lives, and they've been able to do this. That inspired me so much. Just exactly, so and, and they deal with the main issues of any relationship, whether it's monogamous or poly or whatever it is: jealousy, insecurity, and shame. And I'm really happy that they asked him about, you know, how often one has to. Yeah, to, to, <laughs> we got some good info there, honey. Yeah, just how often one has to recognize uh, their partner. And they said, you know, uh, you know, spontaneity, spontaneous, spon spontaneity, spontaneity is, not, is overrated. It is overrated, even about <laughs> even about sex. I mean, really, we know this. We need to plan things. We need to cultivate them, and and you know, and we need to stretch our edges, which we talked about in this podcast. And what we didn't talk about is some of the things that are in the book about about this kind of sexual creativity that you can find in the book, and eroticizing things that. That, that we want we never have paid attention to before the way the way that five minute exercise in the mirror that we start seeing ourselves as these erotic beings that we put the intention there together or on our own I really believe that we have to also spend the time especially as women to overcome some of those stereotypes that women getting older are going to be ugly and saggy instead of vital from the inside and such a, and beauty shining through their yeah. eyes. Right, and, and, and see you, you know, as you age. I mean, I like the fact that you have to start looking at older people to see how you may look and how attractive uh, old age may be. I, I like that idea. That's an exercise that I really like to take part of. And, you know, for both of us, it was, was a good exercise, and I now know that you and me are not going to take that. I, I want to say it very carefully. The lack or the shortage or the deficiency in me recognizing you more often uh, is not really going to be taken as, as seriously as we... It doesn't, ha it doesn't have to be a deficiency yeah, when I continue to, to nourish and water myself. And, 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 and I have... And not, not only that, when you remind me, 
it's okay. It doesn't diminish the fact that I can recognize it at that time, even though I have many of thought coming into my head. And I need to say, thank you for the opportunity. Now I can see you. Thank you for that. That's, it's a very sweet way that he said that. And, you know, and then we talked about the edges. How can we ensure that we can even enjoy some new erotic energy if you're monogamous and you kept it stale? There is no guarantee. So we always, to push our edges, we have to push past some boundaries. And, and that's where, where that discomfort comes in that is always so important for growth. So I hope for all of you hearing this, you've really noticed how much they really stretched into that higher communication to allow themselves to grow together. And that, for me, was the essence of this incredible... And their books, Soulmate Lover and Wild Monogamy. I'm going to have to read those because there are such wisdom in those. If, if we just got a tidbit, uh, a little bit of what exactly in the book. So I encourage all of you to get those books and, you know, exercise whatever it is that they teach because they have made their life to study and explore relationships. So, Absolutely. And if you like this one, we have other uh, wonderful episodes on our website. Uh, and if you like to go and subscribe to our episodes. The, any of our podcast platforms will subscription. We'd love to have you as a subscriber and have you follow us on Instagram as well as Facebook. And before we close and say goodbye, Amir, I do want to say that I'm not dressed as sexy now. I'm in my pajamas, but on another night, I will ask you to make sure you follow me up the stairs from the basement. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm sure to do that as well. So till that time and next time, this is Amir. And this is Tessa. And we'll see you on the next episode. Ciao. You have been listening to the Open Nesters podcast, a production of Kiwi Publishing and Media. Executive Producer, Tessa Crone. Music by Yoni Avi Patat. Audio Engineering by Lucid Sound. Web Design and Blogs, PJ Ewing. This podcast is available on all podcast platforms. To learn more about each episode and guest, please visit us at theopennesters.com. For questions or to be a guest on our podcast, email tessa at theopennesters.com.